When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Patsy DeFerris is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. All right, so I've had this idea for an episode for quite some time. You've gotten hints here and there, lines about the Patriots line, their win total over under seven and a half, just being way too low in my opinion you hear whispers you hear some rumbles about other people feeling the same way tommy Kern thinks they could win even 12 games which god bless tommy in the spring that he's having but it is the season for optimism and when i think about optimism on the patriots beat, there's only one place i gotta go and that is my friend first time guest andy hart of wei to come bring down his three reasons for optimism i have my list of three reasons we are going to go back and forth I love putting a smile on your face to start here, the face of optimism. I don't know if that's Fitzy rubbing off on you in a good week. You're in a good mood. You've got a great podcast, Six Rings and Things, of course, here and read you at WEI. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. And uh, yeah, it's funny because you bring up, when you say the seven and a half line, then I'm like, wow, that seems kind of low. Then you bring up 12 wins and I'm like, well, that definitely seems kind of high. And I'm kind of in that that middle ground somewhere. And I, I'm a big thing. I'm a big believer on like expectations, right? Like the same exact performance. You know, I often use the child comparison, like two kids can do the exact same on a test, but it's not received the same. Like if you may have a kid who's always a straight A student, when he gets a B minus, you're like, what the just happened? Like, what did you do? Did you not study? What or you have your C minus student who gets a B minus and it's like, let's go to friendlies for ice cream tonight. That's awesome. You did a great job. So yeah, I do think expectations matter and we're in a weird world. I was just talking to you before we started here, this whole PFF simulator out there that 11 wins. Okay. We can discuss it. We can debate it, but 11 wins that includes victories over the chiefs, over the Eagles and over the bills, not once, but twice. Um, now it's hard to be that overly optimistic and go that road. Well, I'll leave that to you. Another area of expertise for Andy Hart analytics. Those are all yours, PFF <laughs> and friends. Uh, but no, look, yes, I think that's a little bit rose colored, but here we are to enjoy it, to spread some joy here in June, because the hard realities, the re- harsh realities of football are going to hit soon. And, and to your point about expectations and framework, you know, in some places, an eight, nine season with some coaching turmoil and you're a bouncy or a kick return or two away from the playoffs. You know, historically, people in Jacksonville are throwing a party. In New England, you want to burn the house down. You want to fire the yep. greatest coach of all time, uproot the roster, hand over the reins of ownership to somebody else. All of those people, all of those characters are still here. But you're absolutely right. Whether it's seven and a half, eight and nine, a losing record the last three seasons, expectations have come crashing down in New England, which is part of the reason why I think optimism and overperforming expectations, in addition to the reasons we're going to run down, 
are perfectly acceptable. If they start and go three and seven, however, and you want to fire someone, you want to bench a quarterback, by all means. But we're not there yet. It's June. And I think for a few reasons, one of which I, my first reason I hit a lot with Fitzy last week, we had an episode and did a scrimmage draft. Um, so I'm going to let you lead off. Okay. Your number one reason for optimism this season, overlooked, non-Mac Jones, non-Bill Bryan category is? Is the defensive line. I think the defensive line could be a dominant unit. And I'm including the edge in there. So I'm including Uche and Judon with the interior guys. Obviously, they used a, a high draft pick in that area. Um, I think a lot of people are now, it's funny, maybe we're had too high expectations for Barmore a year ago, and he didn't live up to those. I think people were starting to think of disruptive Aaron Donald athletes, middle of the line. And for a variety of reasons, it it didn't play out, but I still think he has massive upside. So I think that unit up front could be dominant, borderline dominant against um, the run, against the pass. And I think they're going to need it because there's certainly the next two levels of the defense have some question marks. But if that group lives up to its versatility, its depth, its maneuverability, I think Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo can do some different things with that group. You know, Dietrich wise inside outside kind of guy, bar more moving around. Lawrence guy doesn't have to be relied upon as he kind of probably ages here and gets closer to the end. So I, maybe I'm, too optimistic on that group, but if the defense is going to be as good as I think people hope it could be, I think it's going to all start up front with that that group. And you know what? I think the Patriots believe that too, because you look at their activity for agency and you look at the draft, and yes, they spent a first round pick on a cornerback who's expected to go in the top 10 because when you're 14th, move back to 17th, then that guy's still there. I don't care who you are. You just you just take Christian Gonzalez. Well, I guess if you're not Washington at 16, who took Emmanuel <laughs> Forrest, but still a cornerback. So they're banking, in my opinion, on their pass rush, just as you said. And I think they're they're correctly making that bet on this group that's going to deliver. Because let's just go down the sack totals. It's a very primitive stat. It's not necessarily predictive. If you want something better, go with pressures. But again, the Department of Andy Hart, PFF has the pressure. So I have the sacks. <laughs> 15 and a half for Matt Judon last year. 11 and a half for Josh Uche. 7 and a half for Dietrich Wise. All three of those are career highs. It is not good business to bank or bet on career highs replicating or happening again. Yet here we are with Matt Judon, second consecutive season, setting a new career high in sacks. Josh Uche finally having this kind of post-hype breakout that you see in his third year, which I think is more common with those 2020 draft picks who didn't get a real training camp, preseason, OTAs, all that, rookies. And then Dietrich Wise, who his favorite metaphor is just pressure is best when it's a small droplet after droplet on a rock. And that's what gets it to break over time. And to his credit, year six, made that happen, made that work last year in a guy who can play along the defensive line. And we didn't even get to Barmore, who you let off with. So I, I'm with you there as far as just the pass rush coming through. Is there anyone else aside from that top group that you're excited about? I mean, then you're getting into the worlds of the Daniel like Wallace. You know, Juwan Belly had three sacks. They used him a lot as a blitzer. I've talked about before last year compared to past seasons, I think could again. Anything besides just the big names there? Well, I think Keon White. I mean, as a yeah. as a draft pick that comes in and I know everybody's made the comparison Dietrich wise. Now, hopefully it doesn't take him as long to kind of find his footing because Dietrich wise kind of had like a year six jump where you're like, wow, where, where's that been? Nice to finally see it. But I think white is just another tool in that toolbox. And then just to go back to, and I agree with you totally banking on year after year, year over year career highs, not really a great plan for success, but Josh Uche heading into a contract year, 
I mean, sometimes we mock guys that go into contract years and have their breakout years because they're trying to stay healthy. They're trying to make money. They're playing through things, whatever. They're motivated. Josh Uche came on basically the second half of last season. It was almost a breakout half season. And if he can just stay, I don't know, 75% of that, right? 75% of 11 and a half sacks, but over a 16-game span and a 17-game span instead of an eight-game span, a nine-game span, that's going to equate to a really impactful season. And I also think he gives offensive lines more to think about. I mean, Matt Judon has solidified himself for years now going back to Baltimore. He's a pro bowl edge player. Now you have another guy on the other end to think about. And then maybe if you can mix in Barmore in the middle, I think uh, sort of the sum of the parts can be where you look for the growth, maybe not the statistical individuality growth, but the, the sum of the group. So yeah, I, I think that's going to be a fun group to play with if you're the defensive coaches. And you know what, for that group, you know, except for Keon White, all of them are going into at least year three together, specifically yep. Judon, Barmore is a rookie in 2021. So the timing chemistry, I think, can sometimes be underrated when you're a team like the Patriots, who would preferably rely on four-man rushes, but getting creative. You know, sometimes it's Bentley coming up from the second level, Judon drops back, or it's Uche. Sticking with Uche, though, because this leads into my first point, which is contract years, and I, I beat this like the proverbial dead horse in last episode with Fitzy. It's really important. But the point about if Josh Uche has 75% of the traditional production, again, that's the 11 and a half sacks, you're coming down about eight or nine sacks. He had 14 hits. If you spread those out in games like the Eagles, the Chiefs, the Bills twice, as opposed to getting fat on the Colts and the Cardinals, which hat tip to Josh Uche, I'm not getting 50 and a half sacks against Arizona in a Monday <laughs> night football game. We'll never forget it. But that game was probably in hand if he only had one or two. If you can get more high impact sacks in bigger moments against better teams, he might have a lower sack total, but a better, more impactful season. I think he's talked about things that, you know, you, you can't get to know or, or come to understand unless you have deep, long conversations with him, but he's just got his mental right. He's focused. He understands what's important, his role, you know, getting into his own toolbox. As you talk about all these players as tools in a toolbox, which the first part of that sentence was Keon White is a tool. And I'm so glad you didn't pause because we just have to cut this clip and send it to him. And then you can deal with the guy who didn't smile when he got yeah. drafted um, and is six foot, whatever, 280 pounds of, of just raw muscle. But anyway, contract years. I'm going to list you off a number of different names and then make a quick point and pass the ball back to you here because people are overlooking how many players and how many good players to the Patriots are entering contract years. On offense, Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry. Trent Brown, Mike Kosicki, Mike on Wenu, Ty Montgomery, Riley Reef. Riley Reef doesn't really count. One-year deal, 34-year-old. <laughs> He's plenty motivated as it is. Defensively, Kyle Duggar, Josh Uche, Juwan Bentley, Jalen Mills, Raquan McMillan, and Mac Wilson. So Mac Wilson resigned a one-year deal. McMillan's hanging around. But you look at those players, it's not only just that these are good players, but these are players at premium positions. So even if you don't buy in, there's no kumbaya. The Bill O'Brien experience, they start three and six. You are motivated by your own back pocket as opposed to anything going on around you. And I think that will keep these players motivated, whether you're a Gesicki coming off a bounce back year. Not to mention, very quickly, extension eligible in 2023. Guys who could, could get a bag even though their contracts aren't up. Mac Jones, Christian Barmore, Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, I, um, I'm a big believer that when you have ifs, 
they generally go about 50 50 if you just like if this goes this way if this goes this way if you just list that at the beginning of the year generally just sort of it averages out you hit about 50 percent. you get upside on those ifs and that's why i like this idea of the contract years because we saw with for example a different sport different world altogether but xander bogart's the contract year was just a cloud that hung over him, affected his personality, it affected the locker room, it affected everything. So I think that was kind of a negative. It didn't work for the uh, Aaron Judge boon, like I'm going to break the record and I'm going to go get a bag of money, that whole thing. It worked great for him. He was healthy. That that was great. You have the ability to only go 50-50 and still have a productive year. If, if it's not, if, if Hunter Henry has a contract year, but Devonte Parker doesn't, well, you marry that up with maybe Bourne and then Juju, the newcomer. And all of a sudden you have motivated, productive guys that maybe are in the right mindset. And okay, maybe one goes bad. Maybe Bourne has another bad year, but if Gasicki and Hunter make up for that, or if, so you can average those out. There are so many raw numbers that you said, even if the team isn't going well, I don't think you're going to have the pack it in mentality because, you know, you got to look out for number one. You got to look out for the, the bank. And, you know, Kyle Duggar is the most interesting one for me mm-hmm. because he's just so young, so physical. Actually, Uche and Duggar, I think, are very similar in that everyone you talk to, even since the day they arrived, they're great. Like athletically, they're great. They have so much upside. Lenore Ryan coming from a smaller school, you know, all the jokes in the secondary. How did you end up there? Like, how does an athlete, Devin McCourty, 13 year NFL career, all pro multiple positions, looks at him and goes, how the hell were you playing division two football? Like you're a better athlete than me. You're a better total package than I am. And Uche, I can remember talking to Don Brown saying he wished he had gone back to Michigan, but like the upside was there. This is a guy that has elite. And then all the guys here, I think we all laughed a little bit when Judon said the best pass rusher on the team is Josh Uche. And this was pre-breakout. It's like, is he just being a nice teammate or does he really believe it? No, I think they really believe it. I think those two guys athletically, they have the chance to make themselves a lot of money, but by making themselves a lot of money, they'll make the Patriots a lot of plays. So yeah, I think the, the, the depth of the, financially motivated players on this roster, even if you only go 50, 50 on it, like maybe Trent Brown doesn't handle it. Well, maybe he goes down Isaiah Wynn Boulevard. And it's that, just that's someone I would actually feel better about considering his history of contract <laughs> years and 18 winning a yes. Super Bowl in 2021. But I, yep. but I, yeah, but I mean, even if you have some of those guys that it adversely affects them, it's a weight on their mind. And then they're like, well, you have so many of them. I virtually guarantee you're going to have a chunk of, contract years that lead to high production yeah no i'm glad you're on board and i think it's something that like you're you're absolutely right case to case some guys are just perpetually motivated i don't care if jimmy butler's in a contract year or he's just in the middle of january and a tuesday playing the pacers like that guy just walks around pissed off he wants to kick your ass and some of these players i think fit in that mold but let's say Devontae parker gets hurt okay he can't be any more motivated and help him heal faster in the training room because he's wasting dollars out there but pick one of Devontae Parker or Kendrick Bourne. Pick one of Hunter Henry or Mike Kosicki, Juwan Bentley or Kyle Duggar. Like, you're going to get the best out of these players who are, are – their contracts are expiring for the most part because they're young. They're in their mid-20s, late 20s. There's still a lot of good football left. So the last point I'll make is I think you talk about looking out for number one. That doesn't just extend to the guys in contract years. It doesn't just extend to Mac Jones, who I mentioned, could have his fifth-year option picked up after the season. It goes up to Bill Belichick. He might not believe that. I don't think he probably does, 
But his seat is certainly warm, and that just goes with the mere fact that when you go 25 and 26 without a playoff win, five years or whatever, four years without a playoff win, any head coach in the NFL with an expectations of a Robert Kraft, any other owner who wants to compete and, and be known for, for good football product, that guy's job is not 100%. So that's it. All right, number two on your list. So number two on my list is kind of similar in that it's about sort of a breadth or variety and it's the offensive weapons. I know everybody wants to fixate on, and I do fixate on this myself because I think in the postseason specifically stars win. We lived the life around here forever with Brady and Edelman and Gronk. And even when they're not still at their best, you know, the, I think the country song is I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as ever. Like to me, that was Gronk in 18. I need Mm -hmm. you Gronk. Here it is. Go make the play. They did it. Okay, so they don't have those number one options. Well, what do you do if you don't have elite talent? Well, I think you have depth. Like, I think that's the other. And I think this team has depth of weapons. Now, this plays into, I know we weren't allowed to, based on your rules for this podcast, touch on Mac Jones, Bill O'Brien, sort of that world. But if you have faith in Bill O'Brien coming in as a competent, experienced, veteran, offensive leader and mind, working with Mac Jones and at least getting him back to Josh McDaniels level Mac Jones. Well, I think it's Orlovsky who likes to say superpower. Mac Jones' superpower is his brain and his ability to read plays. Mac Jones has guys to throw to. I don't want to hear there's no there's no weapons. No, there's no elite Hall of Fame weapon. You don't have Jamar Chase. You don't have Stephon Diggs. You don't have Justin Jefferson. That's true. But you have a bunch of really good offensive players. And if you trust the coach and quarterback, I think that gives gives defenses problems no Ty law you're not going to fear anybody I don't I mean maybe Ramondre Stevenson is is developing into I fear him kind of offensive player but if Mac Jones and Bill O'Brien do their jobs even to 80 percent of what we expect or think they can do I think Devontae Parker Juju Smith-Schuster I'm higher on James Robinson than seemingly anyone and I don't really I think he's being slept on I really do like I don't think people realize he basically had a Ramondre Stevenson season his first year in Jacksonville, that he can be a dual threat guy. And I think by extension, last year when Ramondre looked gassed but couldn't tap out because really he had nobody to tap out to, Damian Harris had a banged up year, that whole thing. So I think James Robinson, again, it's what we just talked about, upside. I think James Robinson has massive upside. I think Mike Gusecki has upside juju smith schuster has upside Bourne has upside so even if they just go 50 50 let's just say we split it right down the middle and all the offensive weapons only half of them reach their upside potential i think this is going to be a pretty good offense okay so admittedly it's been dark times around here for the nba playoffs but there is still time to turn it around if you turn to FanDuel because right now, new customers at FanDuel get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars that's right one thousand dollars Back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Win or lose, all yours, back in $1,000. And I've mentioned this before. Bet on the Celtics, little socks here and there, Bruins, RIP. Mid-game, before the game, money lines, parlays, point spread, player props, anything you want. Just make sure it's at FanDuel because there is no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
You must be 21 or older in select states. Your first online real money wager only. $10 deposit is required. Refund is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires for 14 days. Restrictions to apply. Please see full terms at FanDuel.com sportbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, in Arizona, that's 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 533-42. Connecticut, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat. In Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. In Kansas, in Louisiana, 1-877-770-STOP. Massachusetts, gamblinghelpma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Maryland, that's www.mdgamblinghelp.org. New York, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Wyoming, that's 1-800-522-4700. And in West Virginia, www.1800gambler.net. I like it. And there are two things that jump out to me. Number one is the Mac Jones question of, like you just said, I, I'm in agreement with you, which is starting to make for a bad podcast. We'll find some disagreement at some point. Uh, is the whole question of does Mac have any excuses left? Is this good enough around him? If you are in the camp that you believe Mac Jones is a good quarterback, this is enough. Okay. Because mm-hmm. if you're saying in nitpicking, which, you know, you don't have to nitpick to go, there's no number one wide receiver. That's just true. It's been true virtually, you know, most of Bill Belichick's tenure. Is this a perfect situation? That's a different question. Because if you think Mac Jones is a bad quarterback, he needs something close to a perfect situation. If you look at this as not being good enough, you probably think he's not good enough. I'm in the camp that I think he can elevate the players around him, which you just talked about is something that he and Bill O'Brien should do because that's the job of coaching, position your players in the best way possible. And of quarterback, to make that difference, pre-snap, a conversation on the side, some sort of adjustment or motivation tactic to get them to play with you. Number two for me was I'd love to I'd love to sit down with Bill and just ask him this, maybe a little bit of truth serum involved, because I'm sure he wouldn't give it up. But the way they're building their team and the word you hit on there was depth is absolutely right. Is does he view defense as kind of a weak link system? And by that, I mean, you know, the old adage about offensive line, you're only as good as the worst player on your offensive line, because opposing offenses in the defensive case are just going to pick at that weak link over and over and over again and so if you're the Patriots, you go okay we're not going to invest 20 million dollars into a number one wide receiver but we will take that 20 million dollars and give eight nine to nuju five and a half to kendrick form six and a half to Devonte parker and at some point we're going to come across a team while we also have stevenson and hunter henry and mike kosicki who one of those guys is going to have a mismatch and we are just going to hammer that mismatch. And it's not always through the same player. It might be putting him into run force or some run pass conflict if it's a linebacker. But they go, we're going to be solid across the board. And more often than not, in the defenses we face, that's going to be good enough. And I think that's what they're banking on in addition to you survive injuries better. You know, you don't have to worry about a guy coming in thinking he's the man because he's got $20 million. I think that's the way they built their offense is to say, we'll find the weak link eventually because – Except for offensive tackle, which is a real problem. They're <laughs> solid everywhere, at, at a minimum. 
Yeah, matchups. I, I think Bill has built a career on matchups, just quite frankly. Like he he believes in matchups. He likes the challenge of matchups and mismatches and finding. I mean, they've built an offense over the years with McDaniels and Charlie Weiss of doing so much in terms of motioning and find, you know, spreading guys out, getting guys out of the backfield out wide to create mismatches, get the defense to declare itself. And I think you're going to see a lot of that. I mean, over the years, whether it's, you know, uh Aaron Hernandez the football player, I always like to say, the football player, Aaron Hernandez, they they utilized him as a matchup guy. He was a slot receiver, but then he'd be in the backfield. And that is where I do think there is an upside opportunity. And again, this isn't, this isn't some theory. This isn't if Matt Patricia can do this, and we have no idea what Matt Patricia can do. Bill O'Brien is an accomplished offensive mind. He's done it different ways, different talent. You know, I know in Houston... He kind of went down the tubes as a GM, but the things he did before Deshaun Watson got there with lesser quarterbacks and finding ways to be good enough, not be great. Cause that's what we're talking about here is let's get back to good enough. Like I don't love a matchup at Kansas city or at Buffalo in the playoffs. I'm not saying, Oh, your depth of weapons is going to be enough there and your matchups. Nope. We'll, we'll deal with that. But get there first, right? Be in that conversation to be in the postseason to see whether you you measure up. So yeah, I, I do think they have built this offense with, and who knows, maybe they're not done. Maybe you can still dream of a Judy or a DeAndre Hopkins or something that would really appease the tie laws of the world. The ones who want to be, they want to see a guy, the guy that they know they can fixate on. But in some ways, I mean, Bill Belichick will tell you when he plays defense, if you tell him exactly who your best player is, he's going to go take away your best player. Remember the the uh, Chad Ochocinco? Oh, we're doubling you today. You ain't getting yeah. nothing. And come One on, coach. You're not being... It's the same yeah, like, ball, same verbiage. Right, yeah. right. Well, in a way, that makes it easier for a defense. They know exactly where their first priority is. Who's your first priority with the Patriots? If you're a defensive coordinator, who are you stopping? Who, who are you fixating on? See, I... I okay, we've arrived at a good place because I firmly disagree here. <laughs> Let's just, go. You you want to have a guy who draws extra attention because I remember writing December, maybe after the Thanksgiving game last year, where Justin Jefferson is just cackling through their secondary like the Joker and everything behind him is blowing up and it's on fire. That all the old adages are kind of falling by the wayside this season. Okay, Belichick teams don't hurt themselves, they don't commit penalties, they don't commit mental mistakes, gone. They take away your number one options. Gone. Ask Stefan Diggs, ask Justin Jefferson. Now, part of that is just the modern league. Justin Jefferson is on a trajectory, keyword trajectory, to be one of the greatest receivers ever with his production so far. Mind you, he's catching passes also from Kirk Cousins. So I think you would rather just have a Justin Jefferson or a Stefan Diggs on your team, if anything, just as used as a decoy. But Clearly, Bill Belichick disagrees, has never paid for a number one receiver, even in the days of Randy Moss, Wes Welker. It's just a part of his team building philosophy that at receiver, we're going to spread that money out. We're going to spread that talent out. I'll pay for tight ends. Sometimes it works. Gronk extension after the second year looks genius. And then John U. Smith is in Atlanta for many, many reasons. So um, <laughs> the the coaching thing, though, you mentioned it's not an experiment with Patricia. Can I give you my runner up? Because I had a three B or, or a reason four, but we have a short list. OK, go ahead. Bill Belichick has his hands out of the offensive cookie jar. He's just gone. Like that, that is going to be a bonus where not only he is not involved there and Matt Patricia and him are going back and forth on play calls on game day, which leads to not getting the ball off in time. It doesn't lead to late adjustments when, you know, certain assistants in there are working on an offensive game plan. They come in and change it. 
This will be a normal, streamlined operation where expectations and roles are set. And he comes back to the defensive staff, which right now, Andy, I think could take a hit or two and be fine. Like how many times in years have we talked about brain drain? Dried Mayo is in his fifth season now, entering his fifth season as a coach. Demarcus Covington, uh, eighth with the team and getting looks to be a head coach. Steve Belichick, 11 years in the NFL now. Brian Belichick, seven. Mike Pellegrino, cornerbacks coach, is in year eight. So this is a group where they all came up in the same system, and I knock them for where the new ideas coming from. You all were flowers growing up in the same pot, basically. But there's enough experience here now, and it's recognized in the outside, specifically with coming to Nemeo, that Bill adding to that staff, you've got a real good, deep coaching staff, which has been a problem, and largely offensively, it's the same now too, because Adrian Clem comes over and he's been in college or the NFL now for 15 plus years. Bill O'Brien's resume speaks for itself. So that was my three B, but it didn't feel quite as strong. So I just want to sneak so, in. So mine, it's funny because Belichick was my last one and it mm. was Belichick picking his spots. I don't think he has to do anything. I, I said it when we left the um, pre-draft assistant coach media access, my Biggest takeaway that day, talking to Bill O'Brien and Gerard Mayo and those guys was, I think Bill's semi-retired. Like, he, I think he can now, I've likened it to Bobby Bowden riding the golf cart with the straw hat at FSU practices when yeah. Jimbo Fisher was the head coach, when Jimbo Fisher was running the team. And and I, it, some of this is tongue-in-cheek, obviously. But I do think there is not an area with Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick running the defense and Bill O'Brien and Adrian Clem running the offense and Joe judge and cam accord running special teams. There's redundancy. Like there's almost a board of directors for each part of the team that they can keep checks and balances on themselves. And Bill can just oversee it all and be picking his spots. And unless you think Bill is toast as a coach, which I, there's actually some Patriots fans out there that I think believe that the game has passed him by. I don't too old. I don't either. I think maybe he was spread too thin as the cliche goes. And Steve Belichick said, I think that was still last year. You know, he still wears all the hats, Bill Belichick. I don't think he has to wear any hat. He can wake up in the morning and look at the hooks on the wall and see which hat he, you know what? I'm actually going to put on the uh, personnel hat today. We need to find another tight end. And I'm going to dig into that today. That's my project of the day. And I think that flexibility for him. Oh, bingo it too. Excellent. Yeah. I'll head on down with Ernie. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. No, and and I think that's, I think he could honestly not show up for a few days and the operation would run smoothly. I think if he didn't show up last year and in some of the previous years, the train would have gone off the tracks and derailed and it would be one of those scandals like in Ohio with the chemicals. Like it would have been horrific tragedy. I think Bill Belichick picking his spots and figuring out at 70 where he can be best used is is just a perfect situation for him don't ask him to wear all the hats ask him to pick what hat he wants to wear and wear it well for that day i i think that's spot on and i think it's best put in the sense of he can put out fires better right because he's not working constantly on the fire that was the 2022 patriots offense that he is both fueling with his mistakes and then trying to put out as they try to mount comebacks and basically every single game that they played but you're right you have a former head coach in bill o'brien in charge of the offense you have a former head coach and joe judge who's going to be helping on special teams gerard mayo multiple teams would have leaped like to have interviewed him to be the head coach and is someone that should be the heir apparent to Bill Belichick running the defense. Do I think he'll be hands off? 
Hell no. I think he's going to have his hands every single place. I think he's going to work just as hard for reasons I mentioned. I think the seat is warm. He still wants to win Don Shula's record, all that stuff. I think Bill will still be Bill, but in a capacity that is just much better fitting for any human being not to be running in a whole offense as a defensive coach um, and and all the things that, that went on last year that we can skip over. I'm going to sneak in my number two here since that was your third. And then uh, we'll talk about my number three. Special teams are solidified. Oh, the one the one fly in the ointment there, though, if Bill wants to play bingo at two with Ernie Adams and then come back for practice and watch the tape, Joe Judge is going to be assistant head coach. So, Andy, if you're fine with Joe Judge standing in front of the meeting and continuing to talk loud like this to show I'm the man in the room, which is something that someone told me for that story we ran in January, um, God bless. I'm not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be okay with that. But I think Gerard Mayo can step in there. I think Gerard Mayo is probably emboldened this yeah. year to say, Joe, can you just sit down and shut up for a minute? We're trying to have an actual football meeting here, not a word salad. And and that you said it. He's the heir. I think that is quite clear. I mean, Robert Kraft said it. We 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 think he's going to be a head coach. The sky's the limit, and we hope it's here. Like, I mean, he basically said he's the future head coach of the New England Patriots. And when you're emboldened by that, when you're sitting in the, on those interviews for offensive coordinator, right? That gives you cachet that maybe even a year ago, as a former player and as a key defensive coach. Maybe you didn't really have to to put people in their place if they get a little out of line. So I think the structure of this team, people are fixating on just Bill O'Brien and Matt Patricia. I think the overall structure of this team, and I would include Matt Groh in there with a couple drafts under his belt and him standing at the, the podium and describing the war room as, yeah, Bill asks really good questions. That is, a, that I think that's a statement that, says more than maybe it seems on the surface. Like his description of the war room is Bill asking me what's going on. Like there's a certain confidence there. And I think you have that in all three phases plus the personnel department. And I think, again, I said checks and balances. I think Joe Judge has far more checks and balances if he does or says something stupid this year. So, um, no, I'm really, really comfortable with the structure of this team, which is weird a year after I was really, really uncomfortable with the structure of the team. Well, there's been a lot of change, and I I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it just hit me. So feel free to run with the CEI if you think this is worth any sort of eight-minute segment. Is Gerard Mayo the one person, and maybe in Patriots history, who has leverage over both Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick, like or the most leverage? Because the only other candidate in this scenario, off the top of my head, would be Tom Brady, right? Mm -hmm. And yet, when the chips were down at the end, and it came to what Bill wanted versus what Brady and Robert wanted, Bill won and got permission to part ways. Tom wanted to go. We don't have to relitigate all of that. But I'm just thinking as far as the negotiations, when the team announces, hey, we're not, we don't have a contract yet with Gerard, but we're talking. Like we're dating. This is like sending out the save the dates and you haven't proposed yet, but like this is going to happen. And how Robert feels about him. He's a quality coach. He's one over the locker room. Everyone sees it. Like in those negotiations, he probably didn't get what he wanted, which is a head coaching job soon. But if he doesn't want to leave, that's them saying, just wait, and you'll you'll give it to you. I, I don't know. Is is there anyone else in the running? Um, no, because I know I like the whole Mike Reese, Josh McDaniels, Bill's gonna open his world to him. There was more of a vagueness there in terms of exactly what Josh was hanging around for, why he was back, the whole thing. This is Gerard, as I said, Robert essentially said. If it works out the way we want, the next head coach is Gerard Mayo. And he is certainly in a unique situation, especially, 
I think him being drafted by the team and playing for Belichick is also a factor in this because if you look at it from a Kraft family perspective, the you probably want to bridge the Belichick era to the post-Belichick era in a comfortable way, but probably not in a true, remember the phrase in Seth Wickersham's story, truly dynastic succession plan, which I at the time argued with a lot of people. He's saying that he wants Steve Belichick to be the next head coach of the New England Patriots. That's a truly dynastic success, succession plan. If I'm the Crafts, I don't want that. That that makes me uncomfortable. But Gerard Mayo, he has a foot in Bill's world. He was his player, his draft pick. He has a foot in my world because he's always played the game, and I'm Robert Kraft, and he's always hugged me, and we did business together, and I he's always joined one hugged of my... me. <laughs> well, you're you're you right. You're right. It. I'm just imagining like billionaire. I... Yeah, go ahead. You watch those post games where Robert stands outside the locker room. I've always said you can find a smart man and an idiot by just seeing who stops, hugs, and spends three seconds with the owner and who doesn't. It How works. Many taps on the back. You get one, that's get out of right. here. Right. Exactly. Like, I love you. Three is like really well done, Gerard. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or the random guy who walks by and Robert doesn't stop him and that guy doesn't stop to say hi to Robert. You're a dumbass. You're you're yeah. doing a career disservice. But Gerard <laughs> has a foot in Robert's world, in Bill's world, but also a foot in just the modern young football coaches world. This may or may not be appropriate to say, but it's your podcast if we get in trouble anyway. Go for I it. don't think it hurts that he's a black man in a league that is trying to promote young developmental black coaches and leaders. He has so much going for him that, yes, it he definitely has as much leverage as anyone not named Tom Brady over the years. Well, I'll say, you know, to, to that last point, not knowing what you're going to say, is that he, he will get interviews, uh, whether they are in good faith or not, because, yes, right. he, he is a black coach. I think that in, in talking to people close to Gerard factors into your decisions of, OK, Cleveland calls and said, do you want to be our defensive coordinator, at least interview for the job? Carolina calls and said, would you want to interview down here? It has to be a part of your calculus. Like, he's aware of that. He's a very smart guy right. as it is. So the flip side of that is. For Robert Bill, you know, those calls are always going to come because he is a great coach, first and foremost, but teams need to meet a certain criteria and threshold for X-Men interviews with minority coaches. So even if they don't think he would want to go to Carolina or Cleveland, maybe in a year or two, it's Dallas. And Jerry Jones can be very persuasive with all that Johnny Walker blue sitting around. <laughs> so, you know, he'll get calls year after year after year unless they pony it up. So it's just just an interesting thing because I think the offseason – more than people want to discuss because it doesn't make for a good podcast or TV or radio are all about negotiations, which by extension mean they're about leverage, free agency, information on the draft, or sometimes with coaches. Okay, so you've had yours. D-line, yep. weapons, Bill, your three reasons for optimism. I've had one. All the guys in a contract here, even if things go south from a team standpoint, which I don't think they will, everyone is going to be motivated to take care of their own business so they can cash in. Next offseason, number two for me, um, I already I hinted at it, might have said it. We're not going to spend much time. Special teams solidified. This is a team that might have made the playoffs if you had anyone on the roster who could have just kicked the ball through the end zone. And it's really, really that simple. Maybe it goes for a touchback. Josh Allen, who finally remembered how to throw interceptions against the Patriots, drives down for touchdowns anyway, and you lose by two scores, which the Patriots did, thanks to Naeem Hines. Maybe not, but they were 32nd by DVOA. You had the 33rd and 34th worst punters in the NFL by EPA, okay? You couldn't kick off. You had five rookies on these coverage teams by the end of the year, 
And so, yeah, maybe if you just remove Pierre Strong from that Minnesota game, roughing the punter, contacting the punter, whatever it is, or giving up his containment lane on the second kickoff, Naeem Hines, things are very different. You signed Chris Board, you drafted a kicker, drafted a punter, signed another punter. Joe Judge is going to be there. Now, this all sounds moot because the NFL recently passed new rules. They're like, oh, hey, kickoffs, you just want a fair catch anywhere, including the two-yard line. We'll just drop you at the 25. Here, just take this little golf cart. We'll drop you down, and we'll put the offense, and we'll play some ball. Um, but ultimately, it was such a detriment that I don't think anyone watching last year could look and go, yeah, special teams don't matter. No, no, no. Special teams are why you lost two games that could have instead had you in the playoffs, which long-term might have been a good thing that they missed and forced all this for New England standards just seismic change, but they didn't. And in the short term, it really cost you. And I think next year, short term could be long term as well. And I would add not just the tangible effects of your bad special teams, but the sort of intangible. It's like, I'm a big believer, whether it's hockey, lacrosse, soft goals are worth more than one. They, they have a deflating effect on the entirety of the team. And I think really bad plays in the kicking game or really good plays, quite frankly, plays in the kicking game, depending on which side of the coin you're at are worth more than the points they score or the yards they, they procure for you. I think they are wind in your sails or a kick in the old cojones. And I don't even think it was just last year. I think the last two years, special teams have been pretty putrid with penalties and extra field goal. It's like just a million botched punt returns. There's been a million examples, which is what you said earlier of the, you know, national audience. I think, you know, this is not a Belichick coach team. It's uncharacteristic that they make mistakes in special team. No, no, no. Over the last couple of years, it's been quite characteristic of who they are as a very mediocre losing record non-playoff type team. So yeah, I think the solidification of the special teams could have even greater advantages than just the actual points that it creates or disallows or the yard, the hidden yards as they like to call them. Um, I think they're huge. Now, that being said, you're right. The league is eliminating special teams. And I listened to Brad Seeley, former Patriots coordinator on NFL, uh, Sirius radio, lamenting the fact that they're basically taking away the, the baby of his career. And it's, it's unfortunate for the game. Yeah. And especially when the Patriots invest as much as they do, not only just from a roster spot standpoint, Brendan Schooler and Matthew Slater and Chris Board and Riley Webb is still bouncing around somewhere in Foxborough, happily going to the supermarket, not being recognized. (laughs) Um, But they have a lot of money in those positions and the draft picks are going to be more expensive than you would think if you want to look up Chad Ryland's brand new contract because he went higher than Stephen Goskowski did, uh, which tells you how much they think of him. Okay, last one. And this is overlap with a little bit of what you talked about with the D-line and the weapons. For me, it's that you have ascending talent at premium positions. And so there's a lot of uncertainty about what Tyquan Thornton's going to look like, how much Mac Jones can improve, Josh Uche, Kyle Duggar. But sometimes uncertainty is, is this Matt Patricia, Joe Judge offense is going to work out? And then sometimes it's Jack Jones is in the Pro Bowl. Like there's such a ceiling here with a lot of players at these positions because they're drafting better. And when you look at 2019 and 2020, what drove that downfall were terrible draft classes in 16, 17, 18, and 19. Now 19 of which there are no more players in this roster from that 2019 draft class, which had 10 members. Okay, Yadni could just with the last, he's out the door. And so now it's Mac Jones, a quarterback. It's Tyquan Thornton, a wide receiver. It's Jack Jones and Christian Gonzalez, a corner. Your pass rushers, Josh Uche, Christian Barmore, and Keon White. They don't all need to hit. But if they do hit, 
playing these positions is going to impact the Patriots far more than it would if they had taken, I don't know, a a left guard in the first round. I'm kidding. <laughs> a, a middle linebacker or some other position. You know what I mean? So we don't know what we're going to get out of all those players. And, and just immediately projecting and acting like a year two leap has already happened. By now, I would hope fans have learned their lesson. We did this last year with Mac Jones. We were all wrong, self-included. But maybe it does happen for Tyquan Thornton or Jack Jones or just one of them. And if it does, that will be a huge boost to this team that right now we look at seven and a half wins and you go, well, four or five interceptions or six to seven to 800 yards is a deep threat changes that math a whole lot and maybe swings a game that you shouldn't get. Yeah, certainly with Christian Gonzalez. I mean, we saw, and I don't want to put this on him, but sauce Gardner was a key part of what everybody said was a championship caliber jets defense, not a team. Mm -hmm. They weren't championship caliber and they went out to try to address that obviously with Aaron Rodgers. But if you hit on Christian Gonzalez and cornerbacks are coming into it's it's not getting the attention that wide receiver gets that wide receivers come in and can immediately be impact pro bowl caliber, all pro caliber wide receivers more in this generation than ever before. The same thing's happening on the flip side of the ball. The guys that are covering those young receivers, the young cornerbacks are coming in and whether it's sauce Gardner or Patrick Sertan or these guys are playing at a really high level really quickly and if you get that from christian gonzalez and this is something i've actually argued with tom curran about he does didn't think cornerback was a big need because they've gotten by like they got by last year that he didn't believe the cornerback position cost them the season there were all these other layers so therefore why do you need to fill a void if it wasn't costing you the season which the logic i felt was a little hey if you want to play quandre mosley okay in week 16 17 (laughs) the dolphins are in town with tyree kill and Jalen wild Good for you. I never <laughs> want to do that if I'm the Patriots ever again. Same. And I like the idea of, I mean, hell, look at the reaction that Christian Gonzalez's five-second Patriots.com rookie minicamp uh, oh video got, which annoyed me. I did the same thing you just did, kind of like, did people not do any draft prep? I feel like if you're commenting on that video, you probably should have known. He was arguably the best corner in the draft. He was a great player last year in college he had all the measurables you like you should have known you drafted an elite corner you shouldn't have had to watch him in shorts in one drill with a helmet on to react positively but I'm as a you you did it before like oh a left guard no matter how great Cole Strange was last year was he gonna alter the Patriots season like that's borderline impossible to do at that position if Christian Gonzalez is great let's just say you hit a lottery pick home run with christian gonzalez that changes a defense that changes a game that changes matchups t higgins isn't bullying jonathan jones in a game like he did last year at gillette so just christian gonzalez when you talk about high-end potential just christian gonzalez in my mind could change this season i love it and I, I think the Sauce Gardner expectations, you know, defensive rookie of the year, and you, and you alluded to this, are a little, little, little too high. Okay, a little much. But Christian Gonzalez, whether it's the the athleticism, the position that he plays, the consensus about him being a top ten talent, yeah, he slid out. And, and Washington had at least one corner, probably two, ahead of him in Emmanuel Forbes. But these questions about his tackling, I just, I just don't get. And I've covered before. You don't need to lay the hit stick every time. If you're a corner and you consistently get the guy on the ground, I don't care how that happens. He's on the ground. You won, but you're right. And this is a position I've said before where, you know, the basketball side, everyone complains about AAU. And I think there's a lot to that. Kids get worn down. They don't have the fundamentals. 
Seven on seven camps are doing wonders for receivers and corners. And you're absolutely right that these guys are taking off and making impacts in year one and year two. Also because, and and you'll see this in that old 90s Belichick scouting guy that gets tossed around every March or April when we dig it up. And uh, that Daniel Jeremiah tweeted a couple of years ago, corner is a position you don't need to have a high football IQ. Okay, this is a very reactive position. Your calls, your assignments are in a fairly limited scope relative to a lot of other positions. And even in the defensive backfield, uh, star, nickel, and safety, much, much different jobs. But here, if you've got fluid hips, enough long speed, good quickness, and ball skills are a must, you can play. And that could be if you're 5'8", like Marcus Jones, or 6'2", like Christian Gonzalez. But it's a good thing Christian Gonzalez is 6'2", because Andy, this was the land of the munchkins there in the Pats cornerback room, and now it's not. And I think you're right. He could absolutely change their season. All right, this uh, this episode is over. I think we have brought the people up, the spirits, the Patriots go. seven and a half win total is still there. If you want to bet it at FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network and the sponsor of this podcast, the Pats Interference Podcast. Andy, first time guest, you're going to be back if I can have you. Home and home, we have now completed with the Six Rings and Things podcast. You and Fitzy do an awesome job. Listen to them. Read Andy. Listen to Andy at WEI. Thank you, sir. Thank you.